0: All right, take your Bibles and open up to Hebrews chapter 11, but also find as you do that Genesis chapter 22. And I'll tell you why we're reading both of those texts here in just a moment. Uh, at the height of the Cold War in the 60s, 70s, and early 80s, it wasn't uncommon to be watching television and have your program interrupted. And it would be interrupted with a bulletin that says, this is a test of the emergency broadcast network. Does anybody remember that? There are some of you in here that might remember that. And then there would be a sequence of these alarms, and uh, there was this odd-looking screen that looked like a target and uh, they would do this; uh, these uh, uh, alarms or kind of a siren-like thing. And at the end of that, it would conclude, the voice would come back on and say, this has been a test of the emergency broadcast network. It is only a test. If it were real, you would have been notified where to go. And periodically, this would do that. And I was a teenager remembering that really from, my, from uh, before even being a teenager, I remember that. And uh, though I didn't know much of, uh, of what was, uh, it was all about, it was really uh, because of Americans' fear of a nuclear attack from the Soviet Union. So we called it the Cold War. And um, and every time that came on, people all took notice of that. They still do that from time to time. You have a blue screen now. It's nothing like it was frequently back then. But the operative phrase in that uh, interruption was always, this is a test, but only a test. And you were always relieved to know, this is really just a-, a test. Well, the Bible says in a number of places that God brings a test into the lives of his people. And uh, when he does, I want to remind you of something. It's a test. It's only a test. But your response makes all the difference to that test. The Bible says, for example, in Psalms 11 and verse 5, the Lord tests the righteous. And in Psalms 66:10 10, it says, for uh, God tested us uh, and refined us as Uh, silver is refined. And God sometimes puts us to the test and puts us in a hard place in life so that he can teach us simply to trust him. Uh, That's certainly the case in the passage that we're going to look at, really the two passages we're going to look at today. Uh, And from this passage, I want you to get a complete picture of what's going on Uh, in both places. Now, here's what we're going to do. So find Genesis 22, find Hebrews 11. First, I want to read from Hebrews 11. We're in this series of Faith Chronicles. And I want to read to you verses 17 through 19. How many of you know what cliff notes are? How many of you survived on cliff notes? I see those hands. Cliff notes was the abbreviated version. I don't know. They probably have online versions of those things now. And uh, many students survived on cliff notes. Cliff notes are the abbreviation of uh, the story that you may have been reading or something to that effect. Well, if you will, verses 17 through 19 are the cliff note version of the bigger story. So we're going to read the cliff notes, and then we're going to read the entire story found in Genesis 22. So this is what uh, it says in verse 17 of chapter 11. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, there it is, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, all right, that's the cliff notes. Where's the whole story told? It's told over in Genesis uh, chapter 22. So if you will, turn over uh, to your place in Genesis 22, and here's the full story, all right? Beginning in verse 1, it says, after these things, here it is again, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the uh, the fire and the knife. And so they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid wood uh, in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. it shall be provided. Father, thank you for your words. Enrich our souls today. Uh, Convict our hearts, Lord, with your word. Uh, Move in our lives and transform us. Help us, Father, like Abraham, to be faithful and uh, full of the demonstration of our trust in you. Would you show us through your word this morning, Father, how to be better faithful followers? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, um God sometimes puts us to the test, doesn't he? It's very clear in this story that's what's going on here and it's one of the most famous stories in all the Bible, isn't it? I bet you most of you have heard that story before. I got to looking and uh, in 19 years as your pastor, I've preached on uh, Genesis 22 four other times. And as I was preparing this message, I went back and I looked at some things and I thought, what is so exciting uh, as a, a pastor is to uh, to get the fresh truth of God. I went back as I started looking over this passage and God showed me some new things that I hope to uh, to encourage you with today. And it, it's all about this ultimate test. You, you have to be honest when you look at this story and say, this has got to be the ultimate test, right? I mean, when God says, I'm going to give you a son, this son is how I'm going to bless your generations and multiply your generations, okay? That all makes sense. It didn't even and when God promised that initially, but now he has this son, and there's debate about how old uh, uh, Isaac was. Some believe he was a teenager. Some believe he might have been a young uh, a man uh, in adulthood. Uh, we don't know for sure, but here's what we do know. He had enough understanding that he knew what was going on. And can you imagine having to make that kind of sacrifice and just saying to God, I'll do, God, what you want me to do? It is the ultimate test, right? The ultimate test of faith. God knows what he's up to. He's given me a son. And as it says in Hebrews about this story, that Abraham believed God and believed that if need be, God just raised him from the dead to fulfill the promise that God has made. Sometimes when you look at the predicaments that you find yourself in, it's hard to see them as a test because they just don't make sense unless you know the whole story, right? The problem is we don't know the whole story when we're in a test. And we can look at this story and we can say, oh, this is going to be good. This is going to work out good. Why? Because we've all read this story before. We know how the story ends. And so we know this is a good story. But Abraham didn't have that luxury. Think about that. This is all in real time in Abraham's life. I I want you to go this and do this. God didn't say, and I'm going to give you, I'm actually going to protect your son. I'm going to provide for you. God didn't tell him any of that. He's living this out in real time. Do you know what? That's the way most tests in life are. I mean, if we could get on down the road and we could look back and see how the test is going to turn out, well, actually, it wouldn't test us very much, would it? Because we wouldn't have to trust if we already knew how the story ends, that's why someone has said, rightfully so, hindsight is 2020. You know, you can look back in your life and you can say, oh, that's what God was doing. He was doing this and this and this and this and this, and now I can see it. But during that time, I couldn't see it because it was happening in real time. Some of you here today, you may be having a test going on in your life. There are things happening in real time in your life, and it doesn't make sense to you right now. In fact, it seems foreign. It may even seem like God has forgotten you or God has forgotten your promise. Don't you think Abraham probably felt like, God, remember what you said about this son that you were giving me uh, and the purpose of this son? I suspect he's, he's thinking, God, I wonder if God has forgotten the promise. Maybe you're there. And oftentimes we, we might say it this way. God's test is a test of faithfulness. Will you be faithful even when the test doesn't make sense? But here's one of the dangers. We try to make it all fit into our, our frame of reference for everything. And, and, uh, the fact is when it doesn't make sense uh, it's unreliable for us to try to make it make sense. You say, really? Why is that? Okay. That's because when we're in a bind, when we're in a jam, often when we're in some tight spot or difficult test, we don't think right. Our emotions run high, and we don't think clearly. And we may even get angry, or we start blaming somebody else for what's going on in our life, or we just lose perspective. And you know how I know that? Because I've been there. And you have too, haven't you? We've been there. That's why the Bible tells us in Proverbs 3, 5, trust trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean, what? On your own understanding. We've all been there. And that's why sometimes if we can't make sense of the trial, it is a dangerous thing for us to say, well, God, you don't know what you're doing. Because our senses are not reliable in those moments. And so we don't rely on our sense. Now, there are people here today, my guess is that you're going through some test. It may be a financial test. It it may be a relational test. It it may be a vocational test. It may be be a health issue that just won't go away. It, it, It could be being single and seeing no way out. It might be that you have kids that are drifting away or, or, or seem distanced and losing connection. It might be something like taking care of aging parents. Or maybe, maybe you've just made some lousy personal or business decision and, and you don't see a lot of hope. There are a lot of people that are here in this place today that, that are watching us by live stream that, that could say that they, they, they're facing some, some dilemma right now. Well, the fact is that that's you. You're not alone. And by the way, if you say, well, I've really never found myself in a dilemma. I've never really found myself in a test. Well, one of three things is true about you. Number one, you're lying. Or number two, you don't have enough faith to be tested. Or maybe any faith at all, you don't have a relationship with God. Or number three, get ready because the perfect storm is coming your way at some point in time. So why does God put us in these tight places? Why does God test us like this? Listen, there's a lot of ways to answer that, but one of the ways I would answer that is because we grow more when we are in the tight space spiritually than we ever grow any other place. And see, God wants you to grow and make progress. Did you notice how this passage begins? Look at verse 1 there. Chapter 22, leave your Bible open to chapter 22 of Genesis. After these things, isn't that an interesting statement? After these things, God tested Abraham. What are these things? These are all the other things that had been going on, in particular his encounter with Abimelech, and that's another story that we don't have time for today. But here's what God is saying. When he uses that phrase, after these things, God tested Abraham, here's what that's saying. There's no mystery about what's happening here. It was very clear. After all these other things, God tested Abraham. But before the test, these other things had been preparing Abraham for this test. Um, This wasn't a pop quiz. Have you ever had a pop quiz? Y'all remember in school having a pop quiz? Raise your hand if you had a pop quiz. Didn't you love pop quizzes? I, oh, you didn't? A pop quiz meant what? It meant I wasn't prepared for this. The teacher is putting me in a bind, and what you did, even if you weren't a Christian, you prayed when you had a pop test. Oh, God, let me remember what's about to be, uh, what I'm about to be tested on. Pop quiz. Now, can I tell you something? This was not a pop test. After these things, oh, hey, Abraham, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to surprise you with a test. Do you know God had been preparing Abraham for this test? That's what after these things mean. So it it, it doesn't, it's it's not a pop quiz. Uh, There had been preparation. And listen to this. Do you know the mountain? that Abraham would go and build the altar on. By the way, in Jerusalem, we believe it's the current temple mound the, uh, over the, the rock that is supposedly the rock where uh, Abraham was, built the altar is now currently under the dome of the rock. If you've ever seen that, one of the Islamic holy sites, I've been in there and seen it many times, supposedly where th- that is Mount Moriah. Um, do you know what Mount Moriah means? It means foreseen by Jehovah. Did you know that? Here's what what the application is for us. Just like Abraham, when you're in some kind of test, you need to remember something, and that is that God has prepared you for the test that he tests you with, and that God is well aware of the test before you ever face it. See, the mountain meant what? Foreseen by Jehovah. This wasn't a surprise to Jehovah and there's some test going on in your life, and you're a follower of Christ, I want to tell you, it isn't a pop quiz, and it isn't a surprise. God himself is well aware of your test even before you face it. So with that in mind, let me give you several things um, that God's test of Abraham did, and let's learn from it. The first thing is this, God tested Abraham's awareness. Verse 1, chapter 22, God spoke to Abraham, said, Abraham, and here's what I like. Abraham responded, said, here I am. And by the way, that happened again right before he was to plunge the knife into uh, uh, Isaac, his son. Here I am. Uh, Listen, our ability to navigate successfully through the test that you and I face begins right here. It begins with learning to listen and hear God. God spoke and he heard on the front end and on the back end. He heard his voice. He was aware of God. Robert Comfort Smith, 82-year-old man who had no flying experience at the time. He went up in a small Cessna airplane with a dear friend of his who was a pilot, 52-year-old man. And while they're flying up in the air, the pilot, this 52-year-old friend, had a heart attack and died right there in the cockpit. How would you like to be several thousand feet up in the air and suddenly the pilot died and you have no pilot experience? That's what happened. And uh, uh, the plane began to nosedive immediately. And Comfort Smith, he, he managed, he was sitting in the side chair, and he managed to take a uh, hold of uh, 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 the equipment and pull the plane back into at least a level position. He was scared to death, as you can imagine. And he gets on the radio, and he starts screaming for help and help, help, help. And at any rate, when they settle him down, he starts communicating uh, with the closest airport and they, there are a couple of guys who are just private pilots that hear what's going on and they fly up and they begin to kind of get out beside him as best they can, not too close for a guy that didn't know what he was doing and they're talking to him on the radio and they're coaching him and giving him instructions on, on how to climb and how to steer and, and, and the scariest part, how to land the plane. And over a period of time, these two experienced pilots coach him and talk to him and, the, and back on the ground, the airport is talking to him And they finally get to the place where they're ready to try to bring him down land. This guy has no experience whatsoever. And he starts uh, descending. They've already got all the emergency vehicles out on the runway. They're waiting, and they're assuming the worst, and we probably all would, right? And witnesses say that when the plane began to touch down with the coaching, it first uh, it, its wheels, hit it, bounced, its nose, then hit its nose, hit a couple of three times like this, and then the plane settled down and it skidded off the runway into a kind of marshy, boggish area at the, the side of the runway. And Robert Comfort Smith crawled out of the plane completely uninjured. Well, can you imagine what would take place in the lives of just Just uh, everyday believers, if we listened and obeyed the instructions from God, if we just listen to Him, we say, I'm a novice at this. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to land my plane. I don't know how to fly through this test. If you'll listen to God, if you'll be aware, guess what? God's going to instruct you. And so, Abraham. God called him to do something that simply didn't make sense to his mind. And frankly, even when we read the story, even though we know the outcome, it doesn't make sense to us. And sometimes God's direction is like that. But we must cultivate a sensitive ear. We must learn to be aware and to distinguish God's voice. Abraham had no trouble recognizing when God spoke. And part of the reason is, why? Because of years that he had walked and talked with God. A lot of Christians are confused about the voice of God. Is this the voice of God? Is this the voice of God? And there are a lot of voices in our world today. What's the voice of God? Uh, how, how do we know the voice of God? Listen, we know it by spending time with Him. It's how you learn to recognize voices, Right? You know, you know the voices of people that are closest to you. You know the inflections of their voice, the tone of their voice, the accents in their voice, the way they say certain words. You know that, right? People close to you, you learn that. People maybe that you're close to at work and things like that, you learn that. You know, you can hear them in another room and you can know who that is. Well, that's how we learn to be aware and recognize the voice of God. We spend enough time with him in conversation, enough time in his word that we become aware of of his voice. And, and by the way, in this case, walking and talking had, had taught him how to be aware of God's voice. Uh, the hard part for Abraham wasn't hearing, it was listening. Y'all do know there's a difference, right? I mean, because frankly, some of you are hearing me, but you're not listening. Because you're thinking about lunch, or you're thinking about uh, uh, how long will this sermon go? Uh, and you're, you're, you're hearing, but you're not listening. That's why Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. You know what he's saying? There's something, there's a quality beyond just hearing stuff. Hearing goes in one ear a lot of times and out the other. Hearing sometimes goes in and it goes up here, but it doesn't get here. And Abraham had learned to do more than just uh, just hear. He was listening to what God said. Now, what God said was tough. It was tough to believe. It was tough to swallow. But his awareness of God, his walking and talking with God through the years had prepared him for the test and given him confidence as he faced the test. Now, if you're in a bind, you've got to start here. You've got to start by listening to God. God, speak to me. Speak to me. The second test I want you to note is that God tested Abraham's affection. Look at verse 2 take your son, your only son, Isaac, note this, whom you love. God tested his affection. God stressed Abraham's love for his son. I know you love your son. That's what he's saying. I know, I know he is a treasure in your life. And it's worth noting that God let Abraham go all the way. Think about this. God let him go all the way, build the altar build the, put the the wood underneath for the fire, bind his son up and lay him on the altar. God let him go uh, all the way. You say, you know, at a certain point in time, why didn't God just say, okay, just kidding. It's not going to happen. Not going to do this. don't want you doing this. This is where I want you to stop right here. But God let him go all the way, every step, to the point that Abraham had raised the dagger. God let him go all the way. You know what? Abraham's greatest treasure had been laid before God. Abraham's future had been placed in God's hands. And Abraham's legacy had been offered to God. You write the story, Lord. What was the real test here? It was a test of his affection. As much as Abraham loved Isaac, your only son, whom you love, just like years later, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Abraham, I know you love your son as much as you love him. What was God testing here? testing his affection. What God was trying to determine is not how much he loved Isaac, but how much he loved God. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you remember this? He said, Peter, do you love me? Three times, do you love me? Peter kind of gets exasperated. Each time he said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Lord, I love you. Why did God ask him three times? Well, there are different nuances to to God's question in the Greek. But but here's what God was trying to do. Peter, do you love me enough to trust me with what's ahead? Do you love me enough to trust you? Because, Because love means trust. So God was saying to Abraham, God was saying to Peter, God was saying to Ray, put your name in the blank. God says to you, if you really love me, you're going to have to trust me when I test you. And you're going to have to trust me beyond what makes sense to you. Alan Redpath wrote these words. He said, there's nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until first of all, it has gone past God and past Christ right through to me. If it has come that, that far, it has come with great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment, but as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift up my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, then no sorrow will ever disturb me. No trial will ever disarm me. No circumstance will cause me to fret for I shall rest in the joy of my Lord Jesus. So God tested his affection. But third, God tested Abraham's allegiance. Verse two, he says, "Now I want you to go to the land. Go to the land. God told Abraham to go to another place to obey Him. Now, I, I you know." as i said it's wonderful when you study a past you preach this every time and, god, and amazing how god can continue to give give you new things i saw something when i was studying this this week again i saw something i'd never thought about before you know abraham you remember the first thing that god really kind of tested him with he said pack up everything you have and go to a land that i will show you you remember we talked about that take off to a place you don't know where it is i know where it is you go and he did And we always talk about uh, Abraham following God by faith and going to a land uh, that he didn't know or didn't know where he was going. It dawned on me as I read this, this is the second time God has told him to, to take off someplace that he doesn't know where he's going. You say, well, he said go to the land of Moriah. Yeah, that's right. He knew he was going to the land of Moriah, but then did you notice it said, and to the mountain that I will show you. Go to this land and then I'm going to tell you the place in that land to go to. Once again, God was saying, just obey. And there's no debate in Abraham, just trusting obedience to God. Just absolute allegiance to God. I don't know if you've ever heard or read the military oath of enlistment, but if you, if you um, enlist, you're going to have to repeat. Uh, this oath. And it says this, it says, I, you insert your name, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And then here's the operative line. Listen, it says that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. It goes on some other things, but I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Do you know what? Abraham's allegiance was tested. And Abraham's test was the major crossroad for his faith. It was his pledge of allegiance. It was his oath of allegiance, of faith and allegiance to the kingdom of God, to the instructions of God. And here's something that's pretty interesting to me. Look, verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. He had been given the word, the message prior to this. And here's what's really amazing. In spite of the news that he had been given, I want you to go to this place. I'll show you what that place is. I want you to sacrifice your son, the son of the promise. All of this stuff, uh, a bit unnerving, wouldn't you agree? Now I want you to do that. And oh yeah, by the way, uh, take off tomorrow. And it says that he rose early in the morning. You know what the remarkable thing about that statement is? It meant that the night before he laid down and slept that's called trust. Could you have done that? Man, if God had told me, Ray, I want you to take your daughter, your only daughter, and I'll take you to her place, and I want you to, want you to offer her as a sacrifice to me, could I? Look, I may have said, God, this doesn't make sense. I, I, okay, I think I'll, I'll follow through with it. it. That would be the best case scenario. You think I would sleep the night before? I'd be up all night. God, are you sure? Did I hear you? Was that that right? Abraham slept. That's trust. So he rose up early in, in the morning. He had been sleeping. He wasn't losing sleep over God's instruction. Don't you ever lose sleep over the instructions of God. Don't lose sleep over the tests that come your way. Abraham wasn't living in panic. He was at peace with God and God's direction. And because of that, he was willing to travel because he completely and absolutely trusted God. Now, a lot of people will say something like this. Well, I want God's blessing in my life. That makes sense to me. I want God's blessing in my life. I want God to to bless my marriage. I want God to bless my family. I want God to bless my my, uh, kids. I want God to to bless my business. I want God to bless my career. All of those things. But they may say that, but they don't want to do God's will. They, They don't want God's direction. And they might even say, but isn't there an easier way to get? We always want a shortcut to the favor of God. We always want a shortcut to the blessing of God. Doing the right thing is often so difficult because we say, we see someone say, I want her character. Or or, or I want his life. I I want that. But the fact is, we don't know the path that those people took to develop that life or to develop that kind of character. Everybody wants a result, but very few people want the road. We want God's blessing, but do we want God's direction? I suspect on that three-day journey that Abraham doubted, what do y'all think? You think he doubted on that three-day journey? I I think he did. Y'all think he, he did a yeah, 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 do like this so I know that y'all are still awake because I'll have to drag this thing on and on and on if y'all don't. Um, I, I suspect he doubted along the way. Now, some people might say, oh, no, not, not uh, Abraham. He wouldn't doubt. He was a paragon of faith, remember? Oh, yeah? You do know this is the same Abraham uh, that earlier in his life he had laughed in disbelief when God said he would have a son in his old age. He he was the same Abraham who lied about his wife and told people that she was his sister in order to save his life. He was the same Abraham who slept with his wife's servant because he wanted a child, whatever the cost. Friend, listen, there was some doubt along the way. But he did a lot of things. While he did a lot of things wrong, he did one thing right, and that was he kept going. He had a tenacious obedience to follow God's direction despite his doubts and in spite of of the questions about what was going on. You see, sometimes God is testing you to see whether you will travel whatever road that he calls you to. What is it? It's a test of your allegiance. And then note next, number four, that God tested Abraham's anticipation in verses 4 and 8. He saw the place where he was headed from afar. He had anticipated that place, and then he got to the place, and he realized that God, he anticipated that God would provide the sacrifice. He followed God. He followed God wholeheartedly, but he was anticipating a couple of things. He was anticipating the place that God had planned for him, Mount Moriah. Why was he looking to the place that God had planned for him? I'll tell you why. Because he at least understood after walking with God for all these years that it was a place of obedience. I'm going to the place God has told me to go to. What I have learned, even if I'm skeptical at times, what I have learned is the place of God and my obedience go together. And he also understood something else. When I obey and I get to the place of God, I get to experience the power of God. He fully anticipated seeing the power of God. That's why he said to his son, God will provide himself a lamb. You see, the place of your predicament is the place where you get to uh, encounter the power of God. So the place where you're being tested is a place where you get to see the power of God at work. And and by the way, it was not just a a place of God's power and obedience, it was also the place of worship, and it was a place of of blessing. Abraham Abraham was anticipating that place. And I'll tell you, he was also anticipating that provision that God had prepared for him. He went to the place of sacrifice, anticipating that God would provide appropriately. How do we know that? Look at verse 5. He said to the, the servants that he'd taken along with them in verse 5, he said, I and the boy will go over there to the place and we will worship and we'll return again to you. We'll come back to you. He didn't say, I'll, we'll go over there to that place, the place appointed by God for us. We'll go there and we will worship and then I'll come back to you. He said, we'll come back to you. He was anticipating that God was going to take care of what he couldn't take care of himself. And notice, if you will, in verse 13. Look at verse 13. He's about to do this thing, and it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold. What does that mean? It, it means this, that Abraham was worshiping. He lifted Why was his head bowed? Why did he have to lift up his eyes? It's because he was bowed in worship. He was worshiping God. He anticipated the place that God had because it was the place of God's power and he anticipated the provision of God and who knows what was going on in that worship but he was worshiping God before he was uh, uh, about to plunge the dagger and it was in worship that he encountered once again the voice of God but there's a fifth thing I want you to see this morning and that is God tested Abraham's activity Abraham built the altar. Did you notice that? Verse 9. Look at verse 9. Abraham, they got to the place. Abraham built the altar. Abraham did everything that God had asked him. He built the altar. He made final preparations. He actually bound Isaac and laid him on the altar. He even raised a knife to carry out the act. He did everything, everything that he had been instructed. And here's the point. Abraham didn't just watch and wait He didn't just get there and say, well, I'm anticipating uh, God doing something. He didn't just say, I'm going to hang on. I'm going to, I'm not going to do anything. I'll build the slowest altar ever been built. No, he got there, and he got about the activity that God had instructed him to be involved in. He worked. He built the altar of sacrifice. And I want to tell you this morning, one of the greatest tests of our relationship with God is our ability to continue serving God and sacrificing for God even when our life is tough. In AD 79, Mount Vesuvius erupted, and it completely destroyed a city called Pompeii and Herculaneum, really but uh, you can go back you can trace pictures they have historical pictures of what happened AD 79 and it wasn't on earth till about a a thousand years ago uh, this volcano erupted and when it did there were people who went underground to hide and that became their tomb because the hot ash and and molten lava covered everything destroying the city and there were some who tried to go up high and escape and weren't able to escape but one of the most telling things about this whole story about the eruption of Mount Vesuvius and the destruction of Pompeii is there's is a picture of a Roman it was a Roman province and there's a picture of a Roman sentinel literally frozen in place covered by the instantaneous hot ash it was that quick and that fast and he's he's a sentinel at a gate and and the they uncovered him uh, a thousand years ago, and he was in his position, his, uh, the place where he was stationed to serve, and he was holding his sword in position when the hot ash covered him and essentially froze him right there in time. And I love the story because I think it is a fitting reminder that God sometimes tests us to find out if we're going to keep serving regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's happening all around us. And so, Abraham was busy. He didn't sit around and wait. During the test, he did everything that, got, that everything that didn't make sense, he continued to do. But here's the final thing, and I want to close with this. At last, notice that God tested Abraham's accountability. Look at verse 12 in your Bible there in Genesis. It says, Now I know that you fear God. Let me tell you something, you say, why did God do this? Because God had to know that Abraham would succeed. I wanna tell you that Abraham had a will and that will God permitted and in that permitting of that will, Abraham could have refused to go through with what God had said. And. And, and so God said, stop. Okay, I see. I know that I can trust you. That's what the Bible uh, teaches. God fi- found in Abraham's obedience that he could trust Abraham. Our tests are not, listen, they're not just about getting us to trust God. They are also about God refining us so that he can trust us. He gives us the ability to accept or reject his will, to accept or reject his plans and purposes for our life. And by the way, to accept or reject his son, Jesus, as Savior. Richard Harris was, uh, died at the age of 72 a few years ago, and he died of Hodgkin's disease. He was a famous actor, probably most well-known for his role in, uh, as King Arthur in Camelot uh, years ago. But he often, his character often brought a kind of a sour disposition uh, to the characters that he, he played. And, and frankly, many believe it was a reflection of his real nature. He was, he was considered a, a rebel. He was a, a, a bar fighter, and uh, he was just kind of a, a rebel in society. And the filmmakers of one of his last movies asked Harris uh, if he would sign on, if he would make a commitment, sign a co- contract to a film a seven uh, uh, episodes of a new series. And reluctantly, Harris did. He said, okay, I'll, I'll do it, and he signed on. But then he made this comment, listen to what he said, after he had signed the commitment to make these, this, these episodes. He said, I hate that kind of commitment. I hate the idea that my life in any way is sort of restricted that's probably why my marriage is broke up i hate commitment and frankly i am totally unreliable anyway well let me just say this one thing is certain our tests are always a test of our commitment will you really commit yourself god is trying to find out if you can be counted on that's why we have commitments right Commitments tell whether or not we're, we're reliable. Commitments d- display whether or not we can be counted on. If your commitment is real, if you're accountable to God over all things, then God says, I can do what I want to do with you and through you. And that was the test of Abraham. You see, it's easy to praise and be committed to Jesus when everything is going well. But loyalty and accountability are tested in the tough times. Ravi Zacharias, who died just a a couple of months ago, said this, faith is confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in his power, so that even when his power does not serve my end, confidence in him remains because of who he is. There's a passage in the book of Exodus, chapter 19, and it says this, that God carried Israel on his wings. You ever thought, what what in the world does that mean? God carried them on his wings. Well, you have to understand eagles a little bit to kind of get that the right picture a mama eagle is a very loving and caring uh, creature but at some point down the line the mama eagle decides that her little eaglets need to learn how to fly and here's what she does she'll take one of these little rascals these little birds and she'll carry it on her wings and she'll take it up to to the kind of the epitome of her altitude. And when she gets up there, these birds are cruising around. Mom's got this thing, you know. They're cruising around, looking out over there and over there. And all of a sudden, mom drops the eaglet, lets it go. And the little bird begins to fall, and it realizes the ground is coming up fast. And it's falling. Its heart is probably racing. I think they put an EKG on them to know that kind of stuff. But you know, its her heart is racing. It's falling toward the ground. And it knows that there's no way it's going to survive. But then at the last minute, Mama Eagle swoops down, and she catches that little bird and, uh, and begins to take that bird back up. And you know the bird is relieved. That's what they found out in interviews with little eaglets that they're relieved, Whew, thank goodness, mom saved the day, and, and uh, I'm, I'm fine, and I'm going to survive. And then this happens, the mom takes that little eaglet right back up to the height of her altitude and does the same thing, drops it again and again, swoops down as needed. And then it repeats this process over and over until, you guessed it, the little eaglet learns to fly. Well, the Bible says that God carried his people on wings of eagles. The Lord has always borne his people. He's always carried us. You see, when Israel didn't have any water, God swooped down and he provided water for them. When they came to the Red Sea and had no way to get across, God swooped down and he provided a way through the Red Sea. When they didn't have any food in the wilderness, God swooped down and provided manna for them. And God has continued to repeat that process his people through the ages why to teach us that we can trust him and he's trying to teach us how to fly by faith learning that we can trust him if you're in a test it's only a test it's a test of the spiritual broadcast network, and it is only a test. But your response in this test makes all the difference. Have you all noticed the growing sense of hopelessness and despair among people today? And it's not just here, it's everywhere. Our world is in a bind. Why is that? Well, I firmly believe because Jesus has been removed from the equation of life by so many people. And when that happens, something else happens. People lose hope. They lose despair when they realize that man can't solve all the problems. You know, the the solution to what's going on in our culture, uh, pandemically and and culturally, uh, the division, none of that can be solved apart from a spiritual solution. Government can't solve it. Changed hearts are the key, Uh, changing the way we think. But when Jesus is moved out, despair moves in. Some time ago, I read an article about about Europe and how it it has largely abandoned Christian faith. It's largely abandoned it. The percentage of attendance in worship and things has dropped down almost unmeasurably. And and there's a connection then when, when faith has been abandoned, and despair and hopelessness set in. The article indicated a poll that said a strong sense of despair and hopelessness now uh, exists across Europe. It just makes sense. When you, when you remove the only one who can bring hope, despair and hopelessness set in. In discussions with an American Christian One highly successful European businessman said this, with tears rolling down his face, he said, if you believe the Bible is God's Word, he's saying this to a Christian, if you believe the Bible is God's Word, if you believe it's the message of life and hope, give me one reason today. Give me just one reason to go on living, because if you can't do it, I'm taking my life right now. I can't take it anymore. And then he said, it's not just me. He said, it's my my wife, it's my children, it's all of our friends. We have nothing to live for, and it's all across our nation. Well, that's what happened when you have no eternal hope and no place to put your trust. The Bible says in Judges that every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's a a prescription for despair. That's a prescription for despair. But Jesus says, I have come that you might have life. And listen, not just life. I've come that you might have life more abundantly. Do you know what that means? Literally, it means overflowing. Imagine a cup and you fill it up. You ever you ever taken a drink and poured it in a cup and you look off and while you're pouring, you forget and you look back and the cup is rolling over and everything you pour too much. Guess what? That's the idea that you have put more in the cup than, than, than the cup will hold. That's what Jesus, I've come to give you that kind of life, full and overflowing. Not a life that is exempt from hardship and difficulty and pain and disease and suffering, but a life that's full and meaningful. It can't be found in the world. It can only be found in trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. That's the antidote, that we become people of faith. Will you bow your head and close your eyes? No one looking around. And I just want to offer you an invitation, whether you're in this room or whether you're joining us by live stream, I want to offer you an invitation. And the invitation goes like this. If you've never personally put your trust in Jesus Christ, today is that moment for you. Right now is that time. Behold, the scripture says, today is the day of salvation. And I want to to urge you, I want to urge you in the strongest terms to put your trust in Jesus Christ. He is the hope of humanity and mankind. You say, how do I do that? Right now, the quietness of your heart, pray a prayer like this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need you. And today, I want to put my trust in you and you alone. He has promised that if you'll call on him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on him right now. Say, Lord, I want you to be my Savior. Forgive me of my sin. Thank you for dying on, on the cross for my sins and loving me and offering me an abundant life. I receive it today. Lord, I thank you for that great promise that you've given us. I thank you, Father, that you've told us to be born again, and then you told us how, and then you said that we could be. I thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, today for those watching by live stream, those sitting in this audience, that, Lord, that have prayed that prayer, that you'll help them to understand what you have ahead for them and begin day by day growing in their relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.